0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. And on today's show, we are going to be speaking with Jesse Washington of The Undefeated about his contributions and partnership with coach John Thompson on his autobiography, I Came as a Shadow, and about the cultural impact of those iconic Georgetown Hoyas teams. I am your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And on with me, for the first time in a few weeks, he is a seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer in our Brooklyn Bureau, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, tell me about your holidays. Like What What was the best received gift that Santa laid down in front of your kids this year?
1: I don't know about laid down in front of the kids. It was odd. Like their birthdays are both in October and without going to school and like having the influence of like other kids and what they were talking about, like they couldn't come up with a lot to ask about. So it was like a very random Christmas. At one point, the number one thing, my son age six, like six is like, peak greed you know what i mean like he could really (laughs) like turn it on his number one request was a super mario snow globe i'm like dude what is that about like okay and like apparently someone like one of the kids found one on the internet for like 30 dollars. and my wife is like dude i'm not getting him a snow globe like it's just whatever um the best gift was actually given to me And I hate to be that guy that's going to then turn it into like, here's what I got. But um, as I like to say, Amy and my fashion sense on tinfoil hats really overlaps. And so we're not a Google home or Alexa or Siri family. Like (laughs) we don't have any of that stuff, but our, the lamp near our bed is just out of reach to be super annoying every night that we all, we always grumble about who has to turn off the light before bed. So Amy got me the clapper for Christmas to turn (laughs) off the light in our bedroom. Like the best gift I got was a piece of technology that was on sale on TV only in like 1995.
0: It's always the best gift in your house. So we were going to go to my in-laws house. They live like 20 minutes away. And they see the kids a lot. So I'm prefacing this by saying it was responsible. This is not like we packed up the car and went and saw all of our extended family.
1: Well bubbled. Nice job.
0: But we did have to pack up and get over to the grandparents' house. And so, you know, I'm going to be careful. I said, air quotes, Santa Uh was bringing a huge dollhouse this year for Violet. And I mean it. big, like it's a good, like a, it's like a, it's not a dollhouse that's like ornate and um, super expensive. It's just big so that, she, you know, it's taller than her and she can play in a lot of rooms. Right. So a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks before Christmas, my wife took the kids out to like drive through and see lights. And I stayed home and got a really big head start on building this thing. My mm-hmm. wife came home and she came in the basement and she's like, man, that's really awesome. Like it's so big. You did such a good job. There were so many pieces How are we going to get this over to my parents? It never once occurred to me. How do I do this? So then I had to take it apart. No, I had to take it apart to a certain degree, sneak it out, bring it over, rebuild it. And then when it was a huge hit from Santa, daddy had to once again, take it apart, bring it back and rebuild it in our house. And so... Yeah, next year, dude, that snow globe with Mario sounds pretty tight.
1: Well, I mean, I will say that once <laughs> the kids, like now that they've gotten into more virtual toys, like stuff that they can play on a Nintendo Switch, it does make, you know, it helps space space issues, you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, etc. So, But, yeah, that's good father work there, dude. Like, I'm impressed. That's commitment. <laughs> well, can I say this too? I, I actually think something fascinating happened because of the pandemic and not going to school. I think the Santa lived another year in our house, like our nine year old,
0: 100% for my little seven year old.
1: Yeah. And like, cause I figured by nine, she would be like peace out on that. But like there was so little external talk or pressure around it that she just like went along with it and barely gave it a second thought. Like, Santa's gonna show up with presents. We watch all the movies, things like that. My guess is there's no shot. Like logic will take over before she's 10, and/or she'll think more about
0: it. Um, but it was kind of nice to buy that extra year of it, you know? Well, yeah, but I went too far. So every year we have a, like an elf on the shelf that like yeah, we... we
1: do that. I hate. I never wanted to. The elf on the shelf we do because of school pressure. So we, I got
0: gotcha. you. We move it. At night. Yeah, we do too. We okay. Do too. Well, my my older daughter has a video camera that she uh, got last year, and she set it up, and I don't know what I was thinking, Gareth. I figured out how to how to move it out of frame and switch the camera off, like out of a horror movie. And she sat there one day and watched twenty three minutes of it not moving, and then five seconds of it fluttering away out of frame. And now she's convinced that like she got like the Bigfoot video, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Like so she got I, the ZapRooter video. Um, I don't even know how long this is gonna last. <laughs> Hopefully, neither one of my kids is listening to this. I got to remember not to edit this <laughs> in front of them yeah. uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, Gareth and I will be back after our interview to talk about our uh, top five uh, distractions of the past year. Uh, a year filled with uh, both too many and not enough distractions. But right now, let's let's jump into our interview with Jesse Washington. You know Jesse from his work writing for The Undefeated. He is the co-author of I Came as a Shadow, the autobiography of the Hall of Fame iconic trailblazing coach of Georgetown University, John Thompson. Gareth, if I'm not mistaken, I know you've done a ton of work with college basketball over the years, clearly, but uh, dust off any any uh, uh, grand old stories you might have about coach?
1: No. Yeah. None really. I mean, I think I might've met him courtside once at the final four. It was, he was doing radio with Ian Eagle, but it was just, Hey coach, good to meet you kind of thing. But he, I'm proud to say that when, after he passed, I worked on CBS's, I wouldn't call it an obit. It was more of a, a, you know, just sort of like a tribute piece to him and, Patrick Ewing ended up voicing it and, you know, getting to work with Patrick Ewing and I don't know, sort of like the Hoya family to help memorialize him. Like that was a, that was an honor. And the fact that they like liked the piece and thought enough of it to put coach Ewing on it was like, you know. That was an honor to be a part of. So I'm I'm looking forward to this and it was uh, a great thing to be a part of. So yeah. I can to hear the interview.
0: I mean, for fans of a certain age, for sports lovers of a certain age, if you were to say to me, make a, a Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches that you just is take away like numbers, legacy, like whatever else, but you just associate with the sport. I would yeah. always go right to like Coach K, Bobby Knight, John Thompson, and then, you know, some sort of like dueling Pat Summit, Gino Orriemma, like fighting each other, like right. I, but, like John Thompson, growing up to me was one of those like unmistakable uh, figures on the sideline, and that's even yep. before you get into the, the the lasting legacies that the book explores about the, his fight for racial justice, all the prejudice he endured as a coach of a predominantly uh, black program, and, and building them up into a national power that redefined what what great teams look like. It's a, a fascinating look at someone who I've always long associated with the sport, which is what drew me to this interview in the first place.
1: I don't know. Everything about him was big, and he stood out at a time that needed it. And as one of the analysts said afterward, Brian Jones, he just said he was a one-man Black Lives Matter movement at a time where they didn't have that. And and so anyway, I was proud to be a part of that this past year and can't wait to hear the interview. A,
0: A great interview, really kind of sweeping conversation about uh, coach's legacy both within the sport And beyond the sport uh, Appreciate Jesse coming on And then again afterwards, stick around Gareth and I will be back to distract you With the top five things that distracted us In the past year I'm over here Get on the microphone and just rip the track Who the hell is Shaq Attack? You better read the paper Treat me like Look, uh, congrats on the book. uh, Not only getting a great reception, but it's truly outstanding. Um, And it touches on subject matter clearly that is just so uh, important right now. Where I wanted to start with you is I heard you use the term, you know, that that coach had a, a piercing gaze. And I just wanted to know what. What is it like to be on the other end of that? Because as someone who grew up watching him on TV and always kind of soaking in that presence, the intimacy of this experience, you and him together, had to have so many times where you could just, you felt like you must have been living that the intensity that he naturally exuded, correct?
2: That's very correct. And what does it feel like to be pierced by John Thompson's gaze? It depends on why he's piercing you, I think. <laughs> if, uh, sometimes it's of intensity and trying to get his point across and that's a great feeling as a writer because he's at his most powerful and most emotional in those moments um i did not have too many times when it was a piercing gaze of displeasure or disappointment (laughs) but when those happen it feels like you let down your parent you know what i mean and um i'm not ashamed to say that. at times, I, I, you know, when I was growing up, I aspired to play for Georgetown. Like ninety nine point nine percent of all the other ball players, I wasn't good enough. <laughs> but it, but writing the book at times, I felt like I was a Hoya man. You know, I felt like I was on the team, and and I didn't want to let him down. So if I ever let him down, if he didn't like something I was writing, or if I got something wrong, and he would let me know, it just made me want to do better.
0: Right, and, and I've heard you describe. You know, the, the and I I might be choosing my words incorrectly here so I apologize, but almost sort of an audition phase where, you know, he he clearly wanted to tell his story, he's looking for the right collaborator and you have to sit down with him and, and sort of um, you know, get across your vision. Can you talk about, you know, th- that initial meeting and and just what it was like to 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 try to uh, again, get across w- what you wanted to do with this project?
2: Well, Yes, I can describe the initial meeting, although I didn't come in with a master plan. Um, I came in just wanting to let coach know who I was and that I thought that I would do a good job and then Mm -hmm. figure out what he wanted to do. And as it turned out, he had an idea what he wanted to do, but he needed a structure for it. So that's where I came in. But the audition process went like this. I came into his house and it was himself, his daughter, Tiffany, and his son, John. And I wouldn't say that I got a hardcore grilling, but it was definitely a stiff questioning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, the questions were the um, uh, and some of it came in a little uh, jousting and joking form. But, you knew it was a little serious. Like, you know, Joe, you know, we're a Nike family. Why'd you wear Adidas? Uh, <laughs> at, at one point, you know, I was wearing a somewhat casual, but not informal clothes. And at one point, Coach Thompson said, why did you dress like that to come here? He didn't say it was bad or good. He just said, why did you dress like that? And that was one of the times when you get the piercing gaze. In mm-hmm. that case, it was the gaze of a teacher who had asked his student a question to see if he could to see what the answer would be like. He did not pass judgment, but he was waiting to pass judgment on, on my response. And so I just said, hey, this is who I am. So I figured I should be upfront with it.
0: <laughs> um,
2: and but one of the things that he asked me several times in the first meeting was, well, you haven't written a book like this before. So what makes you think you could do it now? And I said, well, you know, I'm in the business of writing these in-depth articles for the undefeated, which is my employer. And each one of those articles is about the same as a chapter. And I write those articles in about a week. My editor might be laughing at me now when I said I write it in a week. But yeah.
0: <laughs> no judgment. But,
2: it, but, you know, so so I know that I could write this book and I know that I could write it well. And he insisted in that first meeting, this is not a book about basketball. It's about other things. And I think that that's where I got the job, because I said, well, that's good, because if it was just a book about basketball, then I wouldn't want to do it either. Um, So then after he chose me, though, there was still a trying out a honeymoon period where it was clear if he didn't like the work that I was going to produce, that he would move on to somebody else. At one time, and I'll finish with this little story. At one time, um, I asked him what if he wanted me to give him the recordings, tape recordings of our conversations as I made them. And he thought about it for a minute and he said, yeah, that's a good idea because, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have to get rid of you or not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned it's not a book about basketball, and and, and that's for sure, because you are getting such a, a glimpse at, um, you know, an, an era of American society and of someone who had a larger than life um, you know, personality kind of navigating through that. He also described himself as a teacher first before he was a coach. How was he able to retain that mindset even as he ascended to become, you know, one of the most famous coaching, you know, sports figures in America?
2: Because the man just loved teaching. He loved interacting with young people in a teaching environment He grew up around teachers, his mother was a teacher, several of the most influential people in his life, two black women were teachers. And so he had that embedded in him and he loved to interact with with young people in that way. So that's really how he maintained those values of education. Plus he was at Georgetown University. So every day you walk around on campus and, and if you're paying attention, you're like, this is a great university. Let me make sure that these young men can take advantage of it in the fullest way possible.
0: Yeah, and you know, and I was a child of the '80s and '90s. I was not old enough to, um, you know, remember him as a player. But it's you know, it is illuminating to to be like, oh yeah, he was in the NBA. He played uh, on those famous Celtics teams. What do you think he took? From um, from Bill Russell and from Red, and in, in terms of you know th- those two figures that he had such proximity to, um, how do you think they shaped uh, you know the 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 coach and the and the mentor he would become?
2: Oh man, in serious ways. But real quick about him being a player, you know, I'm a basketball junkie and I wasn't really familiar with his playing career yeah. at all myself. And when I went back and looked at the numbers, I was like, wait a minute, this guy averaged 26 and 16, and as <laughs> in, 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 in college, he was right. all American. You know, like this guy could play. Um, he was, at, however, he was very, his attitude about playing behind Bill Russell was very interesting. He absolutely accepted playing behind him, but he was sort of still mad all these years later that he didn't get to play. And he said, he said, I never got in the blankety blank game. <laughs> and then I looked right. on the internet. I said, coach, the internet statistics say you played 10 minutes a game, had four or five points, four or five rebounds. He said, I don't care what the internet says. That's a damn lie. you know, but it was the best thing for him to get on the Celtics because Red Arbeck, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, he got to observe up close and personal. And as he said, Hey, I had a lot of time to watch red because I was always on the bench. Bill Russell never came out of the game, (laughs) right? You know, so what he took from red, you know, it's really fascinating how all of the things coach was criticized for being too controlling, being in charge, running everything about the team down to the tiniest detail. He got all that from Red Arback. Nobody had a problem when Red Arback did it. Mm-hmm. He got full he got his full court pressure defense from Red Arback, you know, things like that. It, full court man to man that is. He actually learned full court zone press from a young no-name assistant when he was in high school. So, that's what he took from Red. Red was in charge. As he says in his book, somebody was in charge and it wasn't us. Red ran everything. You know, So he definitely mm-hmm. got that from Red. Also from Red Arback, and this was a big surprise to me, Red was like his mentor when he was in high school. Red saw a promising young player and started taking him on these long drives up to Cutcher's Resort in the Catskills, which was like a basketball hotbed in the 50s. So Coach Thompson at age 15, 16, 17 years old would be on like an eight-hour car ride alone with Red back, just soaking up all that knowledge and wisdom. So that's what he took away from Red. And then Bill Russell, I think what he really says in his book is that Bill's uncompromising Blackness had a huge effect on him. He refused to accommodate people who were not going to treat him as he deserved to be treated. And that really rubbed off on him. But the biggest thing I would say he got from both of them, and I got this from Red Arbach's book, Red Arbach wrote, and then I asked Coach, is this true? And he said, yes. He said, some people say Coach Thompson is a hostile man. He's not a hostile man. He's a very caring man. But he learned from me and Russell to keep people on the defensive. And that's how you stay in control. And I said, Coach, is that true? He said, that's absolutely true. So those are the two, some of the things that he got from Red Auerbach and Russell.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the things that, that Red Arbuck was praised for, things that he would become criticized for, especially in the 80s as as their program, you know, was rising in stature. That whole notion of Hoya paranoia, I, it's so uncomfortable to talk about now because you could so see the, uh, you know, the, 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 the inherent racism that is there when, when his, and especially at a time when Bobby Knight is running rampant, when you know Jim Calhoun and other guys have just as contentious relationships with the media, it did seem like Coach Thompson was taking criticism all the time. How do you describe um, his attitude toward the way he was perceived? Uh, by a largely white establishment media at that time, and and how he was able to clearly see and identify the hypocrisy in it all, and yet decided not to, to like play games or try to go out of his way to appease what was inherently an unfair system or, or way of viewing him?
2: Man, it was a very complicated situation that he was in, and he dealt with it in his typically multi-layered way. I mean, His ability to analyze these things and respond on multiple levels was amazing. And I hope that comes through in the book. But long story short, in the moment, he couldn't succumb to it. He couldn't really engage with it. He tried his best to float above it. And he did. He just used it to bring his team together. But underneath it all, and I think if you read the book, you'll get a sense of, I mean, this had to bother him. It had to be Mm infuriating. You're being called a racist and you are the one who is being treated in a racist way. Mm-hmm. I mean come on like and and a lot of it was that it was the type of racism that folks who were exhibiting it would say what are you talking about that's not racist. You know, I read every issue of Sports Illustrated when I was coming up. And I was a kid, you know, I was in my teens and and, and stuff like that and I read all these articles. Oh, this is great. Sports Illustrated is the greatest magazine in the world. I went back and read what some of these people wrote about coach Thompson and was appalled. The naked just uh, racial aggression in these stories taking cheap shots one story started out with these words, almost verbatim. Those noted scholars from Georgetown. Oh, what man. the heck? What the heck is that? Right. What is that? This is that's like you know. And Sports Illustrated was the 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 monolithic, the the huge dominating force in sports media at the time. And as Coach Thompson says in the book, a lot of people fell in line behind what they were doing. So how did he deal with it? I think he 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 took it. He took all the bullets for his team. He stood in the way of all this incoming fire and absorbed it all and and protected them but it took a toll on him and he definitely wanted to say how he felt about what happened and identify it and call it what it was in his book and and i hope that that comes across for the readers
0: a hundred percent and it that's even more aggravating that line given that he had like a what 97 98 graduation rate <laughs> for four-year players Thank you. <laughs> i mean thank you unbelievable um, and to that end, I, I, don't you think some of that was fueled too by this notion? Number one, he was recruiting uh, predominantly, uh, you know, bl- black players. Uh, but I think as you as you've noted, um, you know, look look at where he was recruiting. Look at the D.C. area, um, and also he was willing to, I think, see. And he was able to, not so much willing. He was really able to see potential in people, especially young black men who had been railroaded by the system. I think Allen Iverson's story depicts this when, you know, the, the, the emotional scene he's, he's making uh, at his Hall of Fame speech when he says, you know, Coach Thompson saved my life. I, I, how much do you, do, you, do you put toward Coach Thompson's ability to recognize potential and then to hang with those players all the way through uh, their entire college experience?
2: Oh, man. I mean, that's one of the things that makes him the most special. A lot of coaches were willing to bring in players who struggled academically if they could shoot and coach Thompson, if they could shoot and play. And Coach Thompson is very upfront about saying, hey, man, I was trying to help people, but only the guys who could play ball and help me win games. You know, so a lot of coaches were willing to do that. Fewer coaches were willing to make sure that those kids were educated, to make sure that they graduated. A lot of coaches brought him in, won a couple games. And then if they graduated or not, they didn't really care. Coach Thompson cared. So his ability to do that, it was so special. And his players knew that. And as he says in the book, if you came to school and you didn't do what you were supposed to do academically, if you didn't go to class, if you didn't study, he put you out. The school didn't have to kick him out. He would do it. So it's really, you touched on something very important, is that people saw him recruiting these kids to to quote-unquote prestigious Georgetown University and Georgetown ended up a lot more prestigious after they got good at basketball than they were when he arrived (laughs) you know right so so they saw those kids go in there and they didn't think that they belong and this still happens to this day people don't think that these athletes or black kids or black kids who are not athletes they don't think that they belong at these schools because they may have a lower test score than somebody else when as we anyone who's paying attention knows that the, the strongest predictor of your test scores as a student is income. And so poor kids are scoring lower on these tests, not because they're dumber, but because there is not an equal education in this com- in this country. And this is all what Coach is saying in his book. He lays out a very powerful case for it. And you can see I'm emotional about it because I'll tell you what, quite honestly, I went to Yale University. I had a perfect grades in, in high school, great scores, the, the president and captain of everything. And to this day, people tell me, the only reason you got into Yale is because you're mm. black. Man. And so this part of the book was very emotional for me. And I think for coach also, you know, people told coach the only reason he went to, to Providence is because he could play ball and they're right, but he deserves to be there obviously as his intellect proved later. So coach was finding diamonds in the rough. Now did a few pieces of gravel get scooped up in there too from a from a scholastic point of view? <laughs> yes. And if they weren't willing to be educated and do the work, kick them out. The last thing I'll say is that coach says in his book, what's the point of an educational institution if you're only educating people who are already well-educated? Aren't we supposed to be here to try to help everybody? Isn't that what a university is? So um, I'll get off my soapbox now. Thanks for
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Let Let me close with this. The New York, New York Times called this a consequential book. I could not agree more, especially as you, you talk about, you know, a story that I had, uh, unfortunately, just completely forgotten about. But, you know, when he's battling, um, I believe it's a prop, Proposition 42, and he, he's, you know, he engages in a, in a, a one-man boycott. Uh, very high profile, very courageous stand. As you're seeing all the the activism of athletes... Uh, unfold this year how much more consequential did his story did everything that he had done during this time and especially in carrying the torch of progressivism forward from you know the the outspoken athletes fighting for their place in a sport to hey I'm the one running the program I'm I'm making a new template for what black men can do in sports how much uh, were you aware given all that happened this year of just how much we could learn from what coach Thompson's story has to say
2: that's very perceptive of you to observe that. And you said setting a new template for what black men are in sports. And, you know, we've seen this resurgence of athlete activism now. And consciously and or unconsciously, there's a lot of emulation of what Coach Thompson said, what he did and how he did it. You know, when the NBA uh, boycotted and shut down their league and the players refused to play, um, the season after um, the death, the killing of Jacob Blake. Two days later, Coach passed away. And it really made me think about him refusing to coach because of a discriminatory rule, a racial, racially discriminatory rule. And it made me think, and, and especially after reading what Coach said in his introduction to the book about how proud he is of these young people uh, and their activism today, and these young athletes and how they're using their voice. You know, it sort of made me think, I'm glad coach got to see those guys boycott. And in some ways he must be feeling, okay, my work is done here. This next generation is ready to take this torch from me and carry it full.
0: Well, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for the time um, and wishing you nothing but, um, you know, health and, and the best here during the holidays. And bring back the old Big East, huh? Absolutely. Come on. When the Big East was the Big East. Uh, I'll be watching YouTube clips all night. My wife's going to hate me for it. (laughs) And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a locker room distraction. That is ridiculous. Life is just work, and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate what's been distracting us. End of the year. I know we're late on this, <laughs> uh, but the 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 calendar has turned over. Uh, first time Gareth and I were able to get on the phone in a couple of weeks, and we thought, let's just run it that da- run it back, man. Like let's talk about the our top five things that distracted us last year. Gareth, I'm gonna be interested to see your list because I think we are going to be very different, <laughs> if I'm just, just given the way that our lives have gone in terms of home life, like, uh, just where we live, what we do, uh, what we, we we tended to talk about on the show, I just wonder if we're gonna have anything that, that's parallel or if it's gonna be like, you know, you get 10 for the price of five here, listener.
1: Right, no, no, that's a, that's a fair assessment. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. So how are we going to, are we going to ping pong this? Or yeah, I yeah, yeah do let's, five, let's do why, don't we do,
0: why don't we do ping pongs? We'll start with like our, I, I, I ranked mine. I don't know if you ranked yours, did you?
1: I don't have them ranked. No, okay, we just, well sort you just of, run it down. Okay.
0: Why don't you start, Gareth? Hit me with your, your number, uh, number five distraction.
1: Okay, easily, like, I, walking. I became neurotic step guy this year. <laughs> um, part this, of this is, is my,
0: exactly what I was talking about.
1: Because nothing of
0: mine is just something you did. It's, like, something you (laughs) consumed.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, so, like, but part of this is that, like, uh, this is my dip into Cancer Corner for the distraction. Like, I could get into treatment or whatever. But, like, the reality of it is I was basically told the best exercise for you at this point that's not going to mess you up or mess with your treatment or anything like that would be walking. So I became super neurotic step guy and even when my feet were hurting from side effects and things like that I would still plow through and I ended up averaging 11,174 steps a day for the past for the year 2020. It was also like a safe way to get exercise to be outdoors always in a mask Never like it was something I could occasionally do with friends if they were masked and whatnot. So that was that was easily my number five. But the 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 downside is that now I am neurotic step guy. So
0: (laughs) you and my wife. I don't even. She she's like probably four times in my life got me one of those watches that like tracks all that. And every (laughs) time I'm like, yo, send it back. Just give me the receipt. I'll I'll mail it back. I don't care. I'm not gonna wear this.
1: Yep. Okay.
0: All right, my number five, oh. similar Gareth. In fact, um, you know, in terms of finding a, a a way to mesh both physical and mental well being together in one activity, so I'm going to go with the obvious: uh, Trolls World Tour. Okay, nice. <laughs> how many times did you watch that, Gareth? That is the JV uh, question, the varsity level question to ask is not how how much did you watch it. It's how many times did you buy it? Because if oh. you remember. Oh. <laughs> Trolls World Tour was the first shot fired against the uh, movie theater industry.
1: I, I remember the kids were allowed. They bought it. It was one day I had to go in for like a long doctor's appointment. And so their reward was Trolls World Tour. So, well,
0: yeah. $20 to rent or maybe 25 Uh huh. You got it for two days. We'd watch it as many times as we could in those two days. This was like the early yep. part of the pandemic. This is like pre pre summer, I think. Yeah. Or maybe the very beginning of summer, and then it was like a week or two would pass, and the kids are getting antsy, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna get Trolls World Tour again, and then it was yep. like Charlie's birthday, and she wants to watch it again. I think I bought it three. I think I rented it three times for more than twenty bucks, and then bought it for another twenty bucks.
1: How? So nice run the job, run the dude.
0: math on that, but like if you compare that to like a trip to the theater with like real snacks there, although my wife would always sneak them in. Um, you know, you it's can't not get that popcorn much that
1: way. Pay for the popcorn. It's so I don't know, man. Trash movie theater popcorn is I don't know, so worth it to me. But what I don't need, okay? I don't got, like. Yeah. I
0: don't like. I don't. It's too buttery, bro. Ah, uh,
1: the butter's the best part. Okay, got it. Okay,
0: <laughs> well. all uh, right. Not endorsing, look, it's been a hard year for the movie industry, for the 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 people working on the front lines of the theater experience. No one is saying, uh, scam them out of their popcorn money. And we do hope that eventually that can be yes, yes. opened safely again for everybody to enjoy. I, I, but Trolls World Tour got me through. I know it seems like a lot of money to waste on that, but it's just like, you know, nothing probably said desperate parenting, desperate half-assed parenting more than the number of times I was willing to just be like, Sure, I'll just get myself something less for my birthday. Here's here's another pass at Trolls World Tour.
1: Yeah, well our movie like I mean our movie like that that the kids got obsessed with, we never bought it more than once, so you win on that was Spies in Disguise. Like they thought that is the funniest movie that's ever been made and they adore it and love it. Um but it is funny those those certain films in the I don't know, like streaming only era that have cut through. So I totally salute you on that.
0: One of the most bonkers trailers ever as halfway through, they reveal he's a pigeon.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Well, I mean, it's only topped by the fact that the marketing people did that for Terminator two as well, that they revealed that in the second Terminator, he was actually a good guy in the trailer. Yeah. So you can say a lot about James Cameron. He had every right to be pissed about that one. So, (laughs)
0: Uh, okay, number four for you.
1: Okay, number four, I'm going to do a little bit of a variation, uh, not reading. Um, in 2019, I was, like, really, I was like, I'm going to read a ton, I'm going to read more than I have in years, and I really dedicated a lot to it. And I just, in 2020, I kind of just carried books around the house and would then, down read twitter for five or ten minutes and do a crossword puzzle so i guess this is my way of saying crossword puzzles I'm up to three different subscriptions between the new york times every day the new yorker three times a week and the av club which is known as the american values club uh 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 crossword puzzle so that but it came at the expense of reading and so then Recently, when somebody said, have you been reading? I said, no, I just kind of carry books around and then do a crossword puzzle. So, crossword puzzles in lieu of reading.
0: Yeah, you know I'm going to shuffle my thing around because I've got one on here that is sort of an in lieu of. Okay. I'm going to go with The Last Dance. Mm. Gareth, I believe this was the only television show I watched in this entire year. Like... I didn't finish any other seasons of any other show. I didn't start any limited series and like get through them that I know of. I mean, I, I was Watchmen this year. Was that last year? I mean, last, last year, right? Year. Yeah. Like I don't, I literally, when I was writing it down, I'm like, yeah, of course the last dance would make my list. Right. But I, I really believe that I just didn't watch TV. And I was asking myself, cause like I barely watched sports this year. I didn't watch hardly any football. Um, None of the sports when they came back were like a regular part. I really believe it's because the kids are home so much more than like normal. And I'm home so much more with them. I put them into the room and they can play or they can do whatever. But then I just don't turn on the TV. I just end up straightening up or listening to something or doing something. And so I can relate to like it's not that i'm trying to watch less tv it's just that i am because we're living differently
1: right uh, i i understand that that's incredible it's beautiful it's amazing to me that you finished one show all of last year cuz that i would
0: love to watch like the queen's gambit or the queen queen's
1: gambit was excellent or
0: any of that stuff i i just now consume podcasts About that stuff. (laughs) Right. While my kids are watching Bluey. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't know. Anyway. All right. So we got three more each. Hit me with your third. Okay. I watched
1: plenty of series last year, but the one that I will say was just comfort food to me all year was going on Amazon and watching old reruns of Psych. I've mentioned it on here before. I watched... So much psych, And honestly, (laughs) it's where, well, I just think that that show is like sort of tonally perfect where they can have a goofy murder mystery every year, every week. Like people are dying, but you don't get caught up in the death part of it so much. Number one, number two, the pop culture references are fun and funny. They seem to be able to get any guest star they wanted from the eighties or nineties. Like so many actors did a quick week on psych. Um, yeah I don't know that that show was just kind of when you, I look back on 2020 and just some days not feeling great and me stuck on the couch that was my show and that's how I spent a lot of time
0: I have so. never seen a single episode of that show I mean I know it I think the premise is very interesting and the Dude, actors you look love charming. it too
1: though like it was it was like written by someone who spent the same years in the same basement growing up that you did and watched all the same movies, you know? <laughs> um no, they did like Twin Peaks like tributes or Evil Dead tributes. And yeah like yeah. I don't know. It's right up your alley. But it also then I can also understand how it might be a little too close to home and you're like, I don't need that really, you know, like back off. So anyway. No,
0: it's good man. Um yeah. all right, my number three now we're getting into okay. I didn't watch TV. I didn't watch sports. What did I do? Mm-hmm. I hit the podcasts pretty hard. <laughs> this is the year I switched yeah. over to Spotify and listening to them on my phone. I finally gave up the uh, the uh, the the iPod. Mm-hmm. I, so my number three and my number two are going to be podcasts. Number three, let me see if you listen to this Decoder Ring on Slate. Nope. Okay. It's done by Willa Paskin. It's one of my favorite podcasts ever. (laughs) It is so, so bingeable. I think I went through all of the episodes in something like a week. Um, Oh, okay. They take on these like rando kind of pop cultural, I don't want to say mysteries because some are just like things and they kind of explain why they mattered. Mm Mm-hmm. And the production value is like really stylish. Ever since we did the episode about uh, my wife's, you know, uh, D3 national championship, that was like higher gloss, like produced. I have much, Uh. much more attuned to how shows come together. And I think Mm Decoder Ring is like, is is really well made. I think the topics are really interesting. It's really accessible. It's like good on a bike ride. It's good just like moving around the house. But it's also, I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. it. I'm not just like, you know, background noise to like keep my brain from thinking about something else. Shared yeah. it with my mom. My mom loved it. Started binging it. Like, uh, but Decoder okay. Ring, go check it out. See, tell me, uh, Gareth, if you if if you're as down with it. If you have got to get down with it the way I did.
1: Okay, I haven't listened to it. It sounds a little bit like My Pod Obsession of the last year, which I talked about, which was you're wrong about, but also a little cheekier and more fun. So I look forward to it. Um.
0: All right. So, all right. And I love.
1: By the way, Decoder Ring is a great name.
0: So. Love a good podcast name. I'm I still yeah. pissed we didn't name this side hustle. <laughs>
1: uh, it was a different era. All so. right, you're number two. Number two for me was easy. Old Legos. I bought so many right. Legos for the kids. It started in the spring when that became like a stand-in for school as we were trying to figure out ways to like teach them and you know enrich their lives while being stuck at home all the time. As my wife joked, she was like, you buy Legos like we live in a big suburban house, but we still live in, unlike everybody else in New York, we actually still live in a New York apartment. But we have old discontinued Legos that I got on eBay, or I found for cheap scrolling Amazon. Some are huge. Um, We are out of storage space. The kids still love them. Um, But yeah, dude, I got a lot of Legos. And then for Christmas, a colleague knowing about this gave me like an old, old, like from when we were growing up space set with like the really basic, like space suits and minifigs. And that just made my holiday season. So, um, old Legos is definitely my answer for number two.
0: Had my first, stepped on a Lego and bare feet moment. Um, You'll never forget it. This that's Christmas real was trip. really pissed yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. And you're Sorry a barefoot guy. I'm a, I'm a shoes in the house at nah, all times. A, guy. I've
1: had to sh- I've switched to house shoes. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, it helps, but yeah, that's a terrible feeling.
0: All right. My number two, another podcast and Gareth, a podcast where I want to make an, af- a formal apology. Mm. This would be the all fantasy everything podcast. Ian Carmel, uh, who is the head writer of the Late Late Show. Now his the sort of Andy Richter on air uh, uh you mm. know uh, co-host, if you will, to a certain degree, uh for James Corden. Um him and Sean Jordan and David Borey, who uh who a very funny comedian who came on this very podcast uh, a few weeks ago, uh not even that long ago, talking about blue chips. They fantasy draft stuff. here's how I, I, I was introduced to this show. Um, early in the pandemic, uh, a guest came on and we uh, we did a fantasy draft of uh, you know like a, a night of sitcoms. and mm-hmm. someone like who loved all fantasy everything kind of like, I don't know what you'd call it Gareth, like snitch tagged me. As though, did you whistle like, whistleblown or something? They were like, yeah, hey, okay. I, you get a sense that like every time somebody does some sort of like a draft or s- tries to steal something that like maybe they get kind of called out or blown up or whatever. So mm. I was like, no big deal. Hey, we just did this as a one-off. Uh, yeah, go check out this show. Like, sounds really funny. I did check it out. I remember saying to you, yeah, it's not really for me. I, I didn't like it. And then I realized later... It's because I picked an episode where, like, it was the second show of a night on a live tour, and, like, they were bombed.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. And I
0: remember texting you, mean like, like, honestly, I just cu- I couldn't get through it. I gave it another chance of listening to another episode, fell in love with this show. It is really funny. All those guys are really funny. They have on really funny uh, comedians that I, you know, I just, that I was uh, not hearing on other shows. A lot of times... You know, shows kind of had their their usual suspect people that come on and you sometimes run into them over and over and over again on different podcasts. But this really mm-hmm. opened me up, introduced me to a lot of other people. Again, you know, David came on the show. He was really generous with his time. It was great to have him on. Like I, I really just enjoyed this podcast. Became like probably my most listened to podcast of this year. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. give you some places to start so you don't start you know, eventually you go back and you listen to like a live show of a podcast, and you're like, "Hey, I, I know the people. I know they're having a good time." But sometimes that can be jarring. Right. Here's where to go. Their Taco Bell episode <laughs> is iconic. Okay. Their unconventional bangers song are uh, like songs that are like like Peter Cetera, <laughs> <laughs> "Glory of Love." You know, like, like 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 that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Their ad jingles where every time they dropped the, both the ad jingle and the um, TV theme songs, like every time they drop one, everyone just starts singing them. And it, be, it's, it was like the joy that I needed in my life while I was doing something in the garage or yard work or whatever. That's fantastic. Uh, things You Never Did in Life but Are Pretty Sure You'd Be Good At was great. And then one of my favorite podcasts ever, Words That Make You Sound Smarter. <laughs> Very enjoyable. <laughs>
1: Aforementioned was the one. Like my buddy Luke was like, I always try to get an aforementioned into uh, <laughs> every paper I write. So yeah, I get that.
0: But it was so. you know, look, we, you know us. We love podcasts, and I I, I just really enjoy podcasts that are um, you could tell the people really like to be there, and they just yep. want, they want to do it together, and so that's a good one of just loose talk, fun premise, uh, and just something that you you kind of uh, you just kind of enjoy.
1: That's awesome. Well done on, you know, like, I'm glad that you went back for another one because I haven't done that with enough pods that you've recommended. So thank you for doing it and thank you for going back and sending me like starting points. So. All right. You're number one, Gareth. (laughs) It's the reading that I did do, which was exclusively Stephen King.
0: When, When the pandemic hit, when the pandemic hit, you and I said, We're stuck at home. Let's revisit Stephen King. Mm -hmm. This became my, I don't know, my one acceptable obsession. I bought all of his books used for very, very cheap. I probably spent less money on his books, his entire catalog than I did on Trolls World Tour. (laughs) I read, I think, nine of them this year. We talked about them on the show. I listened to The Losers Club. I became a Patreon of The Losers Club. I listened to Keith's well Cast. And uh, no regrets, Gareth. I enjoyed it.
1: I agree with you. No regrets on this one either. I really valued being able to spend some time with Stephen King and with you about it. Uh, you know, certainly part of it was looking back on my own history with king but it it i don't know it meant so much to get like that was the reading i could do that was the reading i could motivate um and it was funny to do it in a pandemic slash horror movie scenario but it felt very natural for whatever reason my kids knew that like just based on the covers and whatnot they're like stephen king that's scary it's like it's funny to hear you say that like I would never watch these movies, but these as books, for whatever reason, I have no problem with it.
0: And look, it was fun to do while there's all these adaptations that are coming out, while there's all this like resurgence in podcasting and discussion and reappraisal of Stephen King. And mostly, just for all of our mm-hmm. listeners who are like, why are you doing this? Uh, this is what you and I bonded with. Like We became friends reading these horror movie novels growing up and talking yep. about you know, shows me, you talking, you educating me about rap, me educating you about cable, uh, sports highlights. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was fun there to kind go. of reconnect with you over this specifically, even though people thought we were, uh, ridiculous.
1: Hell yeah, man. It'd be like, maybe it's a sign of where our interest in sports is when your podcast becomes a Stephen King podcast. So
0: speaking of that, uh, let's get into some show news, Gareth, a, okay. a, an important announcement, uh, about this podcast, which we have now been doing for five plus years and almost 180 episodes in some form or another. We Half talked. A damn yes, that's right. We, we talked over the break and we are going to, what What do you want to say? Put this one to bed. <laughs> gracefully (laughs) uh stick the landing uh go out on top no that we would never be going out on top uh yes we are on our own terms yeah yeah we are going to begin the end of just not sports uh i'm being kind of cagey about when i say the end how what that means Uh, number one you know just given taping around a pandemic taping around our worst schedules and taping around your cancer uh you know treatments and and, and just blame it needs. on my cancer dude thank you <laughs> i will yeah, you yeah, know that's course. an easier out than blaming it on i listen to too many people's i listen to too many other podcasts to edit my own <laughs> but no i i think our, our plan is to do a few more interviews here on the way out like exit interviews or whatever um and then kind of wrap it up here in the next few weeks or months i don't want to attach a certain time to it because you you know we both have super bowl coming up we've got our family. I don't want to rush it and just be like, "Well, this is our last one" because I guess it is. But we're not going to extend this. You know, this is not going to be the Dwayne Wade retirement tour. <laughs> right. Us just going out over the next year. I would imagine. You know, by by the next month or two, you'll get a few more episodes from us. We'll try to uh, have some fun with it, and then we'll we'll call it a, call it a podcasting career, Gareth. It's been a it's been a wild ride. It has been.
1: Um, but it's been great and a blast and uh, I don't know, I look forward to doing the end with you and maybe if things hold, I'll drop out with like three episodes to go just like I joined in the third or
0: fourth episode I was and laughing perfect. When we yeah. didn't. We were going to tape this last week after we had talked and then you know you, you were just kind of doing some stuff and I, I, I didn't bother you but I, I think I've earned the right to make this joke, Gareth I said to my wife Oh, Nothing yeah. is more just not sports than me saying, Hey, can we end the show? And no one's showing up to the taping, <laughs> And absolutely. me being like, like motherfuckers.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Like if I was going to do it in character, I wouldn't come to the last episode. So, but I will try to come to the last episode, but, uh, Brad, I salute you for this idea and for making it happen. And I look forward to finishing strong if I show up.
0: Yeah. If you show up, uh, and look, speaking of uh, finishing strong, let's end this episode with some shout-outs. Let's shout-out Jesse Washington. Go check out I Came as a Shadow, uh, a book he co-authored with John Thompson about the life of Coach Thompson and uh, you know the cultural significance uh, that he had on sports, beyond sports, as well as, as those teams had. It was, a, it was a lot of fun to kind of uh, dive into that specific topic. In a year that, we, look, what we said earlier in the year, Gareth, uh, we're going to spend more time. We're going to make more of an effort to, uh, to give a signal boost, however small our show is, but to people that are trying to explore um, the people in sports who've been driving uncomfortable conversations around race and around, um, you know, uh, politics. And, and certainly coach Thompson was one. So I appreciate Jesse uh, sharing his story, go check him out on the undefeated follow him on Twitter. And uh, yep. any shout outs for you, Gareth, shout out to the makers of Legos and sh- and the makers of shoes. And Stephen King, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers,
1: they booty.